Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of the Goblin Lore Pod. This is Taya. Um, pronouns are she, her, they, them. And it's just me tonight. I've been left unsupervised. So first first things first, um, I, I'd like to thank the Grinding Coffee Company for providing us lots of support. They're a minority-owned, LGBTQ-run uh, company that keeps Hobbs running and provides him with all the caffeine he needs and have always been super supportive of our podcast. Uh, second note is uh, this podcast is now the Sliver Lore podcast. Um, we all want to be part of the hive mind here. So join join me in the hive mind for the rest of today. And we will, um, no one's here to tell me otherwise. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to be part of the hive mind. And what do hive minds like more than stories? So today's podcast is going to be talking about the side stories for March of the Machine. Um, so far, as of this recording, we have eight of them um, by a variety of art um, authors that are um, and across um, many planes, as this um, storyline would indicate, doing uh, being a planar invasion. So I'm going to just briefly go over each of the stories that we've had so far. Um, talk about my thoughts on them, and uh, we're going to go from there. And I hope that uh, you all enjoy this um, walk with me through what has been some absolutely fantastic stories to set. Um, soon we will have a uh, episode on the main stories. We are waiting for those to conclude before we do. Um, so for today, let's start with Archivos, A Radiant Heart by Evelyn Tang. Um, so the Phyrexians have come to Strixhaven, and first things they do is complete all the teachers. And this might be what a lot of students dream about, but I don't think they're quite thrilled with how this has happened. Uh, because now their teachers are hunting them down and trying to complete them, which I would consider a failing grade. The uh, So the story picks up with our, our five uh, students from the Strixhaven stories before. Uh, Quintorius, Rutha, Dina, um, Zymone, and Killian. So we get one from each of the schools. Um, we all they all got their own stories during the um, Strixhaven block or set. I keep saying block. There hasn't been blocks in a long time. Um, and yeah, you can probably hear my cat purring. She is sitting right on top of my mic, and I apologize for that. Um, but she's going to be my co-host tonight, Callie. Say hi to everybody that's listening. Anyway, so we, we catch up to them. They are busy running from the converted professors, and they're looking for a secret spell in the Biblioplex that is going to help them, um, the, the founder spell, to help them get rid of the Phyrexians and, um, you know, Professor Liliana sent them all on this Goose Chase, um, I, I guess Liliana was too busy dealing with the Phyrexians to go on her own, so she sends children to do the job, and what do you know, they they managed to get through it. Um, we have a lot of uh, hide-and-seek with uh, the converted, uh, the Phyrexian teachers throughout the episode. They're constantly running and fighting them and trying to... Uh, avoid being completed themselves. And at one point they run into Professor Ambrose, Killian's dad, a complete jerk. Um, I don't know why he's a teacher. He's abusive and just a terrible person. But in this case, he um, keeps the Phyrexians busy so the students can escape. And they finally find the, uh, the MacGuffin they're looking for in the library. And what do they do with this? Well, they have to each cast part of the founding spell again. And of course, there's a part for each of the different schools to do it together. Um, this starts going really well. And everybody's doing their part and talking about it. And then something goes wrong. They all get the going and casting and then... Phyrexians show up. Well, that's, you know, not good. It's too much going on. 
too many just for the students to handle. They're trying to cast the spell. The Phyrexians show up. And the art is really cool here. There's some art by Dimitri Burmach that shows them casting this founder spell and all of them together. And it looks like they're going to get rid of the Phyrexians, but um, that's before they get distracted. And um, Rutha gets pulled up aside by Dean Nassari and just can't finish her spell. So Quintorius picks up Rutha's part of the spell too and finishes it. And boom, uh, spell sort of finished. Quintarius disappears. Um, very much implied that he is now a planeswalker. Um, that's what Liliana thinks. His art, the art from uh, that we got from Elias Kentonen, uh shows him kind of disappearing into a white, um, a white cloud of sparks uh, during the middle of the spell. And so they temporarily at least save Strixhaven from the Phyrexians, but the spell was incomplete, so the Phyrexians are still right there, knocking to get right back in. And that's kind of where we leave Strixhaven. It's um, you'll see a pattern of this throughout that we have um, a lot of victories over Phyrexia, or at least partial victories. And that seems to be the theme of a lot of these stories. The next story um, was one that kind of made my day because it was Ikoria. And we all know that, um, or what you learn in the main story is that uh, Elish Norn sends off a lot of the pla uh, completed planeswalkers to take over the planes they were from. And she dispatches Luca back to Ikoria to take over the plane. And he's supposed to... Uh, they don't have high expectations for him, though, and we'll discuss this more when we get into the main story. Because uh, um, I, I don't, I think Elish Norn recognizes Lucas of Huts too, and isn't going to succeed at what he's doing. But we pick up with the survivors um, from Draneth, led by General uh, Jarena, and. They um, Draneth was completely wiped out by the monsters. They've um, and they're being tracked by this humongous Luca monster at this point. He's been soaking up all kinds of other monsters and just becoming huge and uh, even more obnoxious than he was before. So he's hunting them. They're trying to escape. They're they're trying to get to um, Lava Brain. Um, I forget the poor Red City that was left completely out of the story. But, um, so they have to fight monsters, they're trying to save themselves, they fight Phyrexians, it's not great. Um, we get to once again hear from, uh, we get Vivian, uh, hooked up with the monster hunters again, and they don't get along at all. Uh, it's just, um, but they are trying to delay or stop the Luca monster, and Vivian is willing to work with anybody at this point to get it done, even if it is these really creepy uh, monster hunters uh, led by Chevelle. And they uh, watch Luca basically tear apart um, an escaping Vanasaur that um, he then pulls in and uh, grabs some bits out of that and gets even bigger. Uh, I, I like how they refer to it as the Luca thing. It's just this horrible flesh beast at this point and put together from all different bits of monsters and, oh, kind of gross. It's just Luca totally doing his own thing and, um, like he went and merged with the beast on Phyrexia. Now he's merging with all the monsters he can catch on Ikoria. So Chevelle and the Monster Hunters and Vivian try to stop him. They slow him down a little bit, but fail pretty miserably. So we cut back to Jarena. And they're still trying to escape, but they realize that they're not going to get to Lava Brink in time. So Jarena has this plan of leading, the, leading everybody down this long and twisty canyon 
um, which they eventually reach a dead end at. And some of the people realize that they're totally screwed at this point. This is not just any canyon. This is the layer of one of the apex monsters. And the plan um, that General Drina has was to lure... Um, basically use her people as bait to lure Luca and the Apex monster in there at the same time and let them fight it out, which is uh, not a bad idea other than you're, you're uh, likely to get your people eaten at the same time. It's... Uh, I don't know. It, it's a good chance to... It, it's a good idea, probably the best idea that um, she could come up with at the time, and uh, Vadrak basically rips the Luca monster to shreds, um, while he's numbing on Luca, Vivian puts a bunch of arrows through Luca, and just like that, Luca is no more, we've dispatched one of the converted planeswalkers, and then the people that... Um, Vradic just ups and leaves, apparently, and the people that are there realize what General Drina did, and then they're, like, um, pretty much just want to kill her at this point, but they're like, well, for, at least for now, we're going to stick together because we're fighting these monsters, and we don't know what else to do, but that is the end of Luca. Um, I know we have one person in the Discord that um, will miss him, but uh, so I'm sorry your your pal Luca is no more. Um, I don't think the rest of the multiverse is going to care. The next place we pick up is on Ixalan, and this story is titled 300 Steps Under the Sun by Miguel Lopez. Um, we're back in Araska with the... Um, a bunch of the survivors being led by Hwatli uh, at the top of the Wing Temple of Araska. And they're just trying to keep the Frexines at bay. They've almost been overrun. They, you know, they're barely surviving at this point and don't know what to do. So what do we get? Um, we get a flashback. And first we get a flashback that's just a couple of hours previous. and. It's when they're fighting through the city to even try to get to the temple. And it, it turns out that they're, you know, one of the people that's there with them is Maverin Fane, one of the vampires. So they're working together against the Phyrexians. Uh, we don't know why at this time, but there's a lot that they, um, at this point, even the vampire conquistadors are like, uh, yeah, we'd rather work with, the Empire of the Sun, then we would rather then deal with the Frexians. So they, they've been fighting a lot um, up to when the Frexians showed up and Maverin had been taken prisoner. And so Maverin and his crew um, become reluctant soldiers in the fight against Frexia. So we jump back again days before the invasion, um, at the start of the invasion, and we find out that the Sun Empire had been planning a giant invasion fleet to attack the uh, home country, Therizan, uh, of the vampires. So they, they were ready to, they had cleaned up the vampires and their terrain on the continent of Ixalan and were ready to take the fight to the vampires. Had just dispatched this massive fleet and then the Phyrexians show up and ruin their whole little invasion plan. And the Emperor is seems more upset about the fact that his invasion plan was ruined than he does that the Phyrexians are converting and chewing their... Um, converting the people and chewing everybody up. And we pick up with Watley in the court um, while they're arguing over what to do here. And the, temp the Emperor's throwing a temper tantrum and... Watley pitches this idea of sending a group to Araska to summon the elder dinosaurs. And what a uh, what a group that would be to get all the elder dinosaurs together to fight the Phyrexians. And 
The Emperor agrees to this plan. Um, Watley gathers some volunteers, including picking out Maverin Fane from the dungeon, and they set out to Orozka. Uh, the Empire um, does a proxy fight, or you know, a distracting fight with the Phyrexians so that the Orozka crew can sneak out the back door and get away with it. So we pick up again back before the uh, when they arrive at Orozka and one of the problems they run into shortly, they find some people who had been garrisoned at Orozka, they meet up and they're like, okay, cool, we can do this. Uh, we can fight the people that are there. And then somebody sees a tali, uh, but it's not a tali; it's a completed a tali. And boy, do they look scary! And all their lightning and everything is striking around them, and they're all green on the inside. There's some um, really cool art by Ryan Pancoast. Um, I'm very bummed as someone who a tali is my favorite of the dinosaurs because they're red, so of course they would be my favorite. But they also have the coolest ability. So I'm very bummed that uh, they took Itali from me. Uh, needless to say that in the face of a Phyrexianized Elder Dinosaur, the little band of troops that Watley brought with her um, cannot stand against that might at all. So they immediately take shelter and decide that they have to get to the top of the... Um, Wing Temple in order to call the other Elder Dinosaurs to bay. So, and there's a 300 steps, hence the title of the story, that go from the archway at the middle section up to the summit. You know, and that's that's a lot of steps. I don't know if you've been doing your, you know, doing some workout, but that that's a lot. That is, I don't know. I I couldn't do it. I I'm. But I'm also old and fat, so 300 steps would just kill me. Thankfully, Hawatli is in much better shape than I am because they eventually decide they can't hold the Phyrexians off anymore, so they're just going to make a run for it. And they leave everybody behind to choke the Phyrexians on the choke point coming up into the temple and take it for the top, um, decide to go for a dash for the top. But then we get a cutaway to some time ago. And Hwatli is spending time with Sahili. Uh, we get a really lovely lesbian romance scene here while they're getting ready for the, the invasion they know that's coming. And they get to spend some time together. And they're, it's Sahili is visiting Hwatli on Ixalan. And they get to spend some hope time together and talk about a person that served the empire out of vengeance. Yolosan was just one of the former warrior poets and basically had an absolutely miserable life, but served the empire anyways. And Sahili asked why, and Quatley said, for revenge, long revenge. And I, I really like this here, that the idea was that by making everybody mourn her, that she would get her revenge on the emperor. Um, and we get this, you know, lovely little scene in the side before the end of the world. And then, you know, sadly, uh, we get back into the fight and Atali has ripped up, uh, whipped up a hurricane and there's hail and rain and lightning and everybody's just doing their best to try to stay alive. And while they get to the... Uh, Watley makes it to the altar and prays, um, you know, hoping that they can hold the Phyrexian tide back until her prayers are here, heard and the dinosaurs come. And they do hold back. They hold back for quite a while. And then we start getting the um, others showing up. Zephalta being the first one, um, piercing... Atali's hurricane and plunging towards the earth and we got our big white indestructible elder dinosaur that they include in all the commander sets for whatever reason they really love this in the precons uh, I guess it is a big white beater but 
Um, so Zapalta starts fighting Atali, and a whole bunch of other dinosaurs show up, and then Tetsamok, a uh, scourge of limited, shows up and starts attacking a bunch of the Phyrexians and just absolutely smashing the Phyrexians to bit. And then Galtus shows up and takes on a bunch of Phyrexian gargantuans and just like a big green monster does, absolutely obliterated them. And Nether Hall joins the fight too and, you know, uses some water cannons and fights everything. So they team up, fight the giants, and then but Atali is still around, um, and Watley is wondering where Zakama is, and was worried she was turned or dead, and Zapalta is not doing very well fighting Atali, so, um, about this time, Watley finishes running down back to where the rest of her people are, and hangs out with them for a bit, and then Zakama, Zakama shows up. And Zakama just bowls down a bunch of, well, all the people and the Phyrexians at once with just a giant AE attack. Big, um, big dinosaur. And then she rips, uh, our poor Phyrexianized uh, Tali to bits. Um, good job, Zakama, but... I'm going to miss you, Atali. You've played me a lot of cards off of other people's decks. Uh, we'll have all of our, We'll still have our good times together. Uh, I don't know what Phyrexine Atali is going to do. Maybe maybe we'll get to play cards out of people's graveyard or something. Who knows? We'll have to see what the card does. Then we get to what has become one of my top five favorite stories ever. Um, it's Innistrad Family Game Night by Sean and McGuire. We don't have any planeswalkers here to defend Innistrad, no. What we have are the wonderful siblings, Gisa and Grolf. This starts like most of their stories with letters back and forth to each other about their current you know, work in setting up... Uh, Grolf has set up himself in Heaven Ghoul. Gisa is set up a little bit outside of the city, and they're working on their undead like they always are, but something's different going on, and, you know, Jerolf mentions that there's corpses washing up that can't be stitched, and he's been put in charge of researching the phenomenon by Ludovig. Sorry, I was just uh, had to step away a second. Um, and Gisa's asking about these weird lights in the sky and the white branches, and was asking if it was Geralt's doing. And oh yeah, I love the Sasani siblings so much. They are they are just the best. And um, as Seanan put it on Twitter that they they solve 80% of uh, Innistrad's apocalypses and cause the other 20%. In this case, I think we know what side they're going to be on. Um, and we get to see that, you know, we get a lot more from Gissa's point of view that, you know, she's basically gotten bored The uh, and is hoping to have another fight with her brother when a bunch of new um figures shamble out of the river and I was like, oh, there's something else to do. So she thought maybe Giralf was offering up a game and except these weren't like these weren't scabs. They, you know, were covered in glistening oil and all white and red. And just started attacking her as she puts it, sweet innocent ghouls. And she immediately thinks that Jarolf is breaking the rules and not, you know, not her time that this would be, um, that there's a prohibition on magical weapons. So, um, 
she basically has her whole group of um, ghouls fight off the advancing monstrosities and is just deals with them um, the way a good ghoul caller would. But then she finds out, interestingly enough, that she can't raise these ones from the dead. She can, they will respond briefly when she calls them, but as soon as she's not paying attention to them anymore, they fall back over. And, of course, her first thing that comes to mind for her is to uh, message her brother and see, you know, what what kind of cheating he was doing here, and it's not, not supposed to uh, be playing like this. So writes writes him a nasty letter, um, and I love this line. You've done something I would never have thought impossible, brother dear. You have ruined the undead. Do not do this again. And Geralt gets back to her with a warning about don't let the oil touch you. Um, you know, talks about it being a contagion, and somebody actually gave them an information on what the Phyrexians are, and he says they're not his creation. And they're here to destroy all that makes Innistrad itself. So we need to hold them back or um, all, even the dead may be lost. This is, um, but points out in their favor that the oil affects the living mind and cannot infect the risen dead, be them school, ghoul or scab. So it gets the, uh, it puts the siblings in a really good position to fight back against Phyrexia here. And right as uh, Giss is looking at her reply, a whole bunch more Phyrexians show up, uh, including humans and werewolves that were Phyrexianized, which just sounds pretty awful. I don't want to fight a Phyrexian um, werewolf. A werewolf sounds scary enough as it is. So she gets back to Giso with a if anyone's going to destroy Innistrad, it's going to be us. So I propose Necro Warfare united against Phyrexia, winner take all. And they bet their current um, living arrangements after whoever wins gets to stay, and whoever loses will leave. So we get the whole long, drawn-out fight between the Scobs and the Ghouls, and they keep trying to one-up each other while they're fighting off the Phyrexians the whole time and we get first we get a uh, behemoth um raised by uh, or scob together stitched together from Geralt and you know Giss is not having this so she um calls a hullbreaker whore and they both dig these both these huge monsters do a good job of stomping Phyrexians um but they eventually fall just under the Phyrexian hordes so Geralt makes a proposal to, um, if Gisa will allow him to use the corpse of her Hallbreaker whore, that he's going to make something huge to deal with the problem. And she reluctantly agrees, so he has his minions bring back the corpses of both of the Hallbreaker whore and the behemoth to the... Uh, city where he has to work outside because they're too big for his labs and he makes the biggest stitch monstrosity ever it is just absolutely huge and it's it, it's really a work of genius and um that they let shannon play with a be stitched behemoth slash hullbreaker whore and fight the Frexians with it, it is just it's a thing of beauty, and it's a good thing that the siblings fight each other, or they would have conquered Phyrexian a long time ago. And, of course, their their monstrosity picks apart the Phyrexians. It absolutely crushes them before it falls over on itself. You know, and then they get all the corpses burning, and... Because you don't want to leave a bunch of dead Phyrexians around, especially if you can't raise them from the dead yourself. And they agree that neither of them won. Um, and it's just another day on Innistrad. 
that's I know what it comes down to. It's the survivors of Havengal are huddled in their homes, army of undead squaring up in the wild plain outside the estuary, ready to resume their eternal fight. Some things are beyond even Frexia's ability to change. Like, I I absolutely love this story. The back and forth between um, the siblings is fantastic. The um, Shonen's way with words is wonderful. There, There's a line somewhere in the story about um, Gisa being patient um, because she once something happens, she happens to it. And I just, I really love that because yes, she, she is something that happens to things, not the other way around. Um, the next story we get, I'm going to breeze through a little bit quicker, but it is uh, Eldraine, The Adventures of Rankle, Master of Love by Jenna Helen. This one was a little different than the rest. Um, it starts off with Rankle and a, a court of fae, uh, and he thinks he's getting crowned as the leader of this group of fae, but they actually are pulling a trick on him and kicking him out of the... Uh, fairy circle completely because he's just a jerk and mean and nobody wants to deal with him and so he ends up getting um booted out he gets his wing hurt in the process so he can't fly very well uh, eventually finds Tulane and wants to pick Tulane's pocket so he has some money uh, and just follows him around for a while and then he sees Ayara and Wrinkle just is smitten by Yara and just decides immediately that he's going to be her next husband and wants to do anything he can to do that. Um, Chulain is ranting about the end of the world coming and something awful happening. And, um, but, uh, Rankle doesn't care. He just wants to be with Ayara. And so he goes to a town, finds a witch and wants a, Love potion. Ugh. Terrible, terrible um, trope. But the witch is like, no, no love potions are creepy. Um, and makes up an excuse about some love flower. Uh, and the witch is like, I'm I'm leaving town. We're, we're going to go f- join forces to fight the doom that's coming. And Rankle's like, nope, I'm going to marry Ayara. I need to do this so he goes seeking this long-lasting lilac of longing and then pretty much gets caught in a swarm of phyrexianized dogs and ends up getting saved by a dwarf with a big axe and a shiny ring and the dwarf says the courts have fallen and the Kenriths are gone, which we've already seen a preview card from Aftermath that shows the um, burial place of the um, queen and king Kenrith. So that that's sad. You know, I, I really liked I really liked that family, so we'll have to see what happens with them in Aftermath. Um, but the dwarf um turns out to be Torbran, our, our favorite red damage buffing dwarf. Uh and Wrinkle is still obsessed with trying to get um get with Ayara and sees this ring on Torban's finger and thought it would be perfect for a marriage proposal. And Torban is still expecting Rankle to see, you know, everything is going to hell and we should do something about that. Rankle never quite gets the memo here. And while Thorban is sleeping, Rankle turns his ring into a caterpillar. And after it crawls off, Rankle steals it. And turns out it's a ring of wishing. And... During the night, the uh, castle um, Lochthwain was wiped out, and now there's just a mass of Hrexian abominations all over, and Wrinkle's looking for Ayara, and then they find the Hrexianized version of them, and Wrinkle's lost a lot of interest at this point. Uh, so, 
Oh, and Rankle um, has already used some of the wishes by wishing for a basket of goodies uh, and gets over a bunch of cookies, which I, I think that's that's probably not the best use for a wish, but if you're going to get a bunch of cooking cookies, you need it. He makes a second wish, which is for a love potion, and it appears in his hand. Um, then he sees Ayara, and he's kind of lost interest in that. And so he makes his third wish, and he wishes it would rain, and Torbham sank to the ground straight, you've killed us all, and then Wrinkle finishes, I wish it would rain this, holding up the love potion, and whoa, he, he just charmed all of the Phyrexians, and they walk into a huge pit, um, because they're all in love with Wrinkle, and he is right through the edge of a cliff, and they all go right in. It's, I don't know, I, it, this one ends in a weird place, where Rankle is surrounded by his devoted admirers, he slowly drifted down to the rest on a throne of fallen admirers, he never felt so wanted, he never felt so loved. Well, I don't know if he want to be loved by all those Phyrexians, it's probably not very healthy begin with, but um, Rankle manages in the most ridiculous way possible to defeat a large portion of the Phyrexian forces on Eldraine, and I guess we will find out later what happens to the rest of them. Uh, and now the one that um, brought tears to my eyes, Ravnica, one in the same by Allison Lures. Um, we are very fortunate to get Allison back. This was her last story before leaving Wizards, uh, as she talked about on her Twitter account. And this story picks up with Vraska showing up on Ravnica to claim it for Phyrexia. Except she's got her own things going on a little bit. Vraska is still dealing with some memories that are hers and not Phyrexian that keep poking themselves in, but and kind of her her personal feelings start to focus on or focus the invasion on things that she's more interested in. Like her first stop is to destroy the Azorius where she was held prison. Um it flashes back to her being held in the prison and her, the other people around you being, uh, her being tortured and having their eyes removed, the other Gorgon, it's, it's pretty awful, um, the Azorius are just not nice people, especially since none of the Golgari even should have been arrested to begin with, and then we, we switch back to the Phyrexianized version of which in this story, all of her Phyrexian thoughts are in red. And she decides after this flashback to start blinding all of the people that they're fighting, having her Phyrexian minions blind them before they are killed or completed. And she has another flashback to um, time with Jace on Ixalan and this time she has, starts to say something out loud and opens her eyes and her lieutenant looks at her um, and kind of like, what's going on here? You're acting a little weird. Uh, she slips back into, sees some Selesnian, so gets right back into her killer instinct. And then she decides to check out her old apartment of all places. Um, and this is, she hadn't lived there since becoming Guildmaster, but it was full of all sorts of little collections that she had um, picked up across the multiverse, including a Theron pot with tea in it and a Kaldheim drinking horn and a Segovian chariot, uh, which I think is a hilarious bit that she keeps under a glass bell jar. Um, just a, a for those who aren't familiar with Segovia, it is the tiny plane. Uh, everything on it is small. So um, she apparently at some point brought home a uh, chariot from Segovia. 
And then her Phyrexian version is like, this is all garbage. What is this? We don't need any of this stuff. This is someone else's memories. I don't care about any of this. And, you know, and it keeps switching back and forth between Vraska's memories and Vraska's Phyrexianized um, inner voice. Uh, and then they focus on the thematic compass, which is in the center, on the center table. And talks about how she got her memories back before, um, after Ixalan, but before War of the Spark. And they go over a lot of, um, a bit over some of those memories. And then we get back the Phyrexian version of Vraska, who is, go spill as much glistening oil on the streets as you can. And blind them all. She's still on this blinding everybody thing after her flashback to her Gorgon, um, the, the other Gorgons that were captured with her being blinded. And then she has a brief memory of Nicol Bolas, um, and I know fondly remembers that he trusted her to lead um, before, now Phyrexia did, but now um, so they go to the Hall of the Guild Pack, and she recognizes Lavinia's desk and the private office that Jace used to spend his late nights in. We still don't know where Jace is, by the way. He's been kind of... Um, he's one in the main story. They don't tell you where he's going, and so far he has not shown back up, which makes me nervous. Um, and it cuts back to Phyrexian. Um, Phyrexian Vraska completing a bunch of people, including uh, is it people and puts the blinded is it phyrexians at the front of the line as they approach ralzeric and really freaks out ralzeric he is absolutely disgusted by this and then there's um ralzeric has a small cylinder cylindrical device that um he punches Vraska with and hits a button and it basically attacks her Phyrexianized bits. Um, she's broken, disintegrating, uh, vomiting up oily bile, and we get she can't move anymore. She's covered by rubble, and then we get the uh, I wake in a small and distant corner of my mind that Phyrexis could never touch, and we get a very long section of her on a assumingly imagined date with Jace where they're talking to each other and um, Vraska's regretting the monster that she's been and the fact that she lured Jace to his completion and that she deserves to die and Jace is comforting her and you know that wasn't her that was Phyrexia and they spend the time together and they have this pretty hot makeout session, which goes on about how great it would be to make out with a, a empathetic telepath. And then they, um, this section ended with, and I grasped my mind and vision erupting in startling iridescent white. So, um, then we come back to Ral two days later. They have successfully pushed back the Phyrexians, but Vraska's corpse was nowhere to be found. So we're left with a cliffhanger here on what happened to Vraska. Um, you know, whether she planeswalked away is kind of the um, guess a lot of people have had uh, in her delusional state uh, or her hallucinatory state where she's imagining herself with Jace. Maybe she's gone off someplace and um, to be with him or to, to, you know, finish dying. But we don't know yet. So Vraska is a huge question mark of what's happened to her. And hopefully we will find out um, soon by the end of the story, uh, because I want to know where um, I want to know where she is. She's one of my favorite characters. Uh, and then we catch up to, uh, we have two more stories left. One is New Capenna, The Fall of Park Heights by Elise Kova. And this one, um, 
this one's interesting because we get the point of view for this story is from Arendt, who was Arnhelio's daughter, and we get a story about them um, from the last block about their wedding with their uh, wife, Parnesis, and Arnhelio is uh, trying to get everything together for the wedding and has to go assassinate somebody first to um, make sure that they don't interfere with the wedding, and that was a really great story. I recommend you go read it. And um, this time we have a different thing. Is it picks up with them already. Um, Arendt is having a vision during her wedding ceremony of basically everybody she knows being completed and transformed. And um, she grabs her wife and runs out the uh, runs out and um finds the plane being invaded so we have a uh, and then we kind of skip forward a little bit to they had been being pursued by Frexian um converter beast which uh I, this is one thing that I was kind of confused by the story here is because Atraxa was under orders to murder everybody on New Capenna and just harvest bits. Um, but they actually, in this story, um, the maestros have largely been converted and they have these converting conversion beasts out looking for more people. So this was something I thought was a little, um, different from what we've seen in the main story happening here. And I'm really surprised with what we got or when we got to this story. Um, but anyways, they're they're trying to escape, and Phoresis is hurt. Parnesis, sorry. Parnesis has a hurt leg, so they're having trouble getting away from his Phyrexian. And it turns out they're holding um, a bag of explosives that were provided for them because they've been working with the Resistance, and the uh, they get caught between two... Phyrexians, and they decide that they would rather go out together than get converted, so they blow things up with their explosives, and then it turns out they survive. Errant wakes up later and happens to be in the presence of an angel. Um, Pernice also survives, but is in much worse shape, and turns out the angel uh, healed them with a whole lot of halo. Um, and we get this angel's name is Della, uh, and they're helping the resistance fight the Phyrexians, even if they're not too happy with how the families have been using Halo as it's basically angel juice. Um, but they would rather fight the Phyrexians than deal with the, um, than just turn over and let everybody get killed. So at first, Errant wants to be done with this whole thing. They have this plan to basically bring down Park Heights on Atraxa's head. They can't fight her directly, so they're going to trap her and then crash the entire district down on top of her. Uh, and they want Errant to be the one to... Because Errant is a basically a parkour master, and... They want her to be the one to plant the explosives. So Errant doesn't want to do it, but Pernesis convinces her. And so they go forward a couple of days with the plan being ready and go for it. Um, you know, Errant gets in place, pops the explosions, has to um, pull off these really cool things with... Uh, she made some halo paint bombs, and there's some cool art by Oliver Bernard that shows this being used on some giant Phyrexian, and the halo is essentially poisonous to the Phyrexians. So she makes these paint bombs that splatters all over them and helps some people escape and distracts them while she's heading there. And she also has a basically an airbrush gun that has the same... Um, same kind of a halo-ized paint in it and uses that to dispatch a Phyrexian that had been chasing her across the girders. 
And so she gets to the area, the weak spot in the um, architecture. She plants the explosives, and then Arn Helio shows up. Uh, and Helio, not Arn Helio, and is doing the just come join Phyrexia speech, uh, which Aaron's basically like, You're not my dad. You can't tell me what to do. Um, I'm not going to join you. You're. You were, you know, my dad was an artist, and Phyrexia doesn't understand beauty. Uh, beauty is mess and experimentation, failure and triumph, and all the bittersweet yet hardships that come from pushing boundaries of what is known. It is originally out, it is, it's in originality. You knew that once. And then it was, but I saw the truth. But that's not the truth. That's only what Phyrexia tells you. And. He tries to get her to join, and she can't bring herself to spray him with the halo. But then she sees the fireworks, um, halo fireworks going off, which is a signal to blow the explosives. And she jumps and pushes the button and says goodbye to her dad, who assumingly gets blown to bits. Uh, and she gets caught falling through the air. She misses a jump and gets caught by Della. And flowing back to the rest of the resistance who all survived. Yay, everybody. And then we get an interesting bit. The angels are all departing through the invasion portals. Um, and they're going to help win the war, supposedly. And... Parnice whispers, it's breathtaking, and the shining angels, uh, angry tears in between the clouds, a city burning down, and yet somehow also rising in tandem, and Aaron's arm slips around her wife's waist. It is. It looks like hope. So that's the end of the uh, new Capenna story. We get um, the angels departing. Um, I'm guessing this is going to lead into the uh, grand finale, um, where we're going to have a big fight against the remaining predators, uh, which we will talk about more when we do the full story episode. And that leaves us with one more story. This one was listed on our main stories, but is uh, not part of the main story. So I'm going to cover it here in side stories. And this is Zendikar, Battles in the Field and in the Mind by A.T. Greenblatt. Um, this starts off with Nahiri's point of view and um, she's there to save, in her view, save uh, Zendikar once more. And where she's been stopped or failed previously, she will succeed this time. And she's using her lithomancy to connect all the Hedrons back together to um, better open up the portals to New Phyrexia uh, to bring more of the invasion through. And we get set up with... Uh, Akiri, who's been dispatched by um, Tazri um, based on a vision to go do some recon of the Skyclaves and find out what's going on. And Akiri discovers that um, Akiri's there with um, Lugvala and they discover that Nihiri is back. And so um, Akiri sends off Linvala to warn Tazri, who is fighting at Seagate, and um, turns out they're completely getting their butts kicked at Seagate. There's just uh, more and more Phyrexians keep showing up. The pods get there faster and faster, and Linvala gets there and tells Tazri that Nahiri is, you know, returned, and Tazri's like, good, we could really use the help of a planeswalker, and she is not returned as an ally. And Tazri has this, finds this hard to believe until she gets more descriptions, and um, Tazri wants to keep fighting, but the city is pretty much a lost cause, so Limbala picks her up and drags her off um, back to the Skyclave, and we get another view with Nahiri, um, basically putting the royal in its place. Uh, it tries to stop her, but she just shuts it down completely with her enhanced lithiomancy. Uh, and then we get back to Akiri and her um, friend Aura. 
and Kaza. Um, they're basically looking for a way into the a way into an area that isn't corrupted into the Skyclave, and they finally found a spot uh, right when when Vala and Tazri show up, and then they start going through the Skyclave, and they're like, "Why aren't we getting attacked yet?" There's this is weird. There's nothing here stopping us from going in like there usually is. And then the Phyrexianized Elementals show up, and it's the reason they haven't been stopped yet is because uh, Nahiri had completed all of these, um, the elemental beings that usually protect the Skyclaves from wanderers and relic looters, and so they have to fight off a bunch of these Phyrexians, and they end up getting, uh, Aura gets and glistening oil in his hand and uh which isn't looking good for him and they have this um point where Linvala just shines out a bunch of light which buys them time from the Phyrexians to get out uh before they're surrounded and they're not really sure what's going on anymore and then they get to the center and find Nihiri um Nihiri First, talks a little bit about how first she was driven by, um, you know, was driven by her trying to do what's best for her home, and it was joy of her transformation at first, but that wasn't enough, and then she put her anger into the transformation, and that wasn't enough, uh, and then she spends her grief in it, and that gets her almost to where she almost to the point of the plane being um the planar barrier being broken but it's not quite enough uh for the first time in her long existence the ancient planeswalker is empty of rage grief and pain here he has nothing left to give no she has one thing left to offer so she fuses herself with the um keystone and starts draining her own um, life, uh, her own essence into her planar portal device. So then the uh, the heroes show up. They start fighting Nahiri. Nahiri throws a bunch of rocks at them and is generally kicking their butts pretty hardcore. Uh, when everything became really bright, the um, oil even burns away on Aura's uh, hand. And Tazri looks down and says she's shining with incandescent glow, the halo about her neck brighter than ever before. Umunvala is radiating, and so they all attack together, and Tazri hears a voice from her halo to use it, and so she pulls it off and uses it as a weapon. Um, and then everything begins to fall apart, and the room crumbles, and... Everybody but Nahiri flies away to safety. Um, and uh, or line swings to safety, and the Skyclave comes crashing down to Earth, uh, supposedly with Nahiri trapped within. But we get another possible off screen death for Phyrexianized Planeswalker. Um, we don't have any confirmation if Nahiri is dead or not, so um, probably got more to go in aftermath. Um, you know, they did leave a lot of these open-ended, but Zendikar also has a partial victory here, although there's not many people left to fight the Phyrexians that are already there, even though they stopped the portal from being torn even wider. And that is the, that is the side stories. You know, it's, um, I've gotten through them as quick as I could. There's a lot to cover. I hope you enjoyed the summaries that I provided. Um, we've had a really good time discussing the stories in our Discord, so if that's something you'd be interested in, please take a look at our link tree and come join us in the Discord to talk about all these wonderful stories. Um, the main set story is absolutely fantastic. We will be back soon with an episode that covers those. And just, um, boy, the... Uh, the Vraska story was a real tearjerker, and I hope you've read that. I hope you've read all of them, but uh, if you can't read all of them, read that one and read Family Game Night. It, it's well worth your time. 
And with that, I'm going to say thank you um, for listening. Uh, you know, I hope you enjoyed the Sliver Lore podcast. I will have all kinds of facts about slivers in the future. Um, and, you know, if um, Phyrexia can't win because the hive mind is too strong for them. So, um, or maybe we'll just be grateful we're not getting any Phyrexian ice slivers because that would be terrifying. Anyways, thank you and have a good night. And that's our show for today. You can find all of the hosts on Twitter for now. Hobbs can be found at HobbsQ. Tay can be found at Taya Transcends. And Alex can be found at Mel underscore Chronicler. Feel free to send us any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to the Goblin Lord Pod on Twitter. Or email us at goblinlordpodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support your friendly neighborhood gobslugs, our link tree can be found on our Twitter account and in the description of today's show. This has everything from various discount codes to the link for our Patreon. The music for today's show was by Vintergotten, who can be found at Vintergotten at Bandcamp.com. The art was done by Stephen Raphael, who can be found at Steve Raffle on Twitter. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Hipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, goblins like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. <laughs> <laughs>